Uh, we come in here often, and we've had a week where we've looked at everything that this world has to offer, and God has not been all we thought we needed. And so it is so good to come in here this morning and be reminded through that song that he truly is all that we need. We've been walking through the book of Exodus. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Last week was really a call for us to remember God's redeeming work. This week, we're going to see God is the one who remembers. So the Israelites, they're finally leaving Egypt, finally getting out of slavery, and God has been giving them instructions on how to commemorate or how to remember his redeeming work. And so he's given them very specific instructions on how to remember or commemorate the, through the Passover feast, through the, the unleavened bread, the festival of the unleavened bread, and on the, the need to consecrate their firstborn. And so today's, today's passage, it's really about God's loving, wise, faithful providence and provision. It's a short passage, but I think it's a really powerful passage. And I truly believe that through God's word and through his spirit, he has the ability to use this to really strengthen our faith and to give us an anchor for our souls so that when the storms of life come, we can find rest and we can find assurance and security in his arms. And so the Israelites are now heading out, leaving slavery in Egypt and heading to the promised land. And so it's very similar to where we're at today. Okay, this side of the cross, Jesus Christ has freed us from the penalty and the power of sin, but we are not yet quite to the promised land. So we're in this kind of in-between land, and that's where we find the Israelites today. And I want you to remember, even though they are leaving slavery, they're also leaving what they knew. They're leaving what, even though it was harsh, it's what they were used to. It's what they were comfortable with, and we're going to see that play out as we move forward in Exodus. And so we've got this large multitude of people. In fact, the text says it's a mixed multitude of people, which implies that perhaps some of the Egyptians or maybe some of the other nationalities that lived in Egypt saw the great power of the God of the Israelites, and they said, okay, it's better to go with them than to stay here. And so you've got this huge mass of people that are, are leaving this caravan of people, the livestock, they're, lo they're loaded down with anything and everything that they could carry out from Egypt. And so today's text begins this journey from Egypt to the promised land. And I want you to notice a few things in the text as we read it. First of all, I want you to notice the wisdom that God has in leading them. Secondly, I want you to notice the, the faithfulness of God in remembering his promises. And then third, I want you to see the provision of God and how he directs them. So let's pray that God would help us. Father, more than anything, like we already sang, we, we know deep down that you are all we need, and right now we need you. More than anything, we need you through your spirit to remind us of the redeeming work of Christ and his, your faithfulness to us, your provision, your love, your kindness, your mercy, your gentleness, your forgiveness. We need you. And I know that I am of very little consequence in all of this. And so I plead with you that your spirit would work in us and through us. 
Help us to understand your word. Help us to see your glory in it and be in awe of who you are and what you've done for us and help us live in light of it. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Pick up with me in verse 17. When Pharaoh left the people, or let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. All right, let's break this down. So if, first of all, if you're a note taker, uh, you can actually go to the online bulletin. And I've got, if you'd like, you'd like to fill in blanks, um, I've got a way that you can fill in blanks. And so if you go to where it says sermon notes on the online bulletin, you can take notes and you can fill in blanks there because I know some of you really love to do that. And so the first line, though, we're going to put this up on the screen. The first line is this, and you can fill in the blanks. The wisdom of God and how he leads them. I want to take a look at that. The wisdom of God and how he leads them. So the shortest path to the promised land was to go along this coastal trade route called the Via Maris. But this would take them into the land of the Philistines. And God knows that the Philistines would not look highly upon this huge mass of people just strolling through their land. And I think it's significant that God doesn't just know the future. He knows all possible futures. And so he knows the Israelites. He, he knows our hearts. He knows the frailty of our faith. He knew that the Israelites, if they were faced with war, they would choose to flee rather than to fight. I think right now, not just now, this is, this is our tendency. It is so easy for us. We often get frustrated with ourselves because of our lack of faith, right? It, it is so easy. And we get, we get discouraged by it. A lot of times we get embarrassed by it. When we come in here and we just fake it, right? Or on the flip side of that, I see especially in the season that we're in right now, there's a lot of people who will look at other people's lack of faith and become judgmental. We live in a day where people are walking around with shirts saying, faith over fear. But I don't see that kind of judgmentalism in this text with God. I, I, I don't see that here. He knows that the Israelites lack faith. And yet, he's not judgmental towards them. I think we need to stop thinking that we can guilt people into believing more about Jesus. That, that doesn't help their faith. Um, 
We need to not point them to their lack of faith. We need to point them to the faithfulness of Christ. And that's what we see in this text. God is not surprised by their lack of faith, is he? He's not surprised by our lack of faith either. He knows us. And when, when God calls believers and he says, fear not to them, what you see all throughout the scriptures, and I, I looked at tons of passages this week where he says, fear not. Not one of them did I find where God has this judgmental tone. It's always a tone of compassion when he says that. He's not surprised by our lack of faith. If, you, if you're a believer, the frailty of your faith does not bring God to anger. It brings God to pity and to compassion. It doesn't cause God to recoil. It causes God to pursue and woo to show you more of his compassion and more of his might to strengthen your faith. I, I think about Jesus and, and the disciples when they're on the boat and Jesus is asleep, right? And, and the disciples are, are freaking out because this storm has come and they think they're all going to die. So they wake Jesus up and Jesus calls them out for their lack of faith. But then he doesn't get angry with them. He doesn't even rebuke them. What does he do? He rebukes the storm. He shows them compassion. And I think what we're seeing here is God's compassion towards the Israelites' lack of faith. He helps them avoid the war, but notice he does not help them avoid the wilderness. He protects them from the war, but he leads them right into the wilderness. He doesn't help them avoid all the scary things. Instead, he puts them in a position to witness an even greater display of his awesome power. That's what he does here. Now, perhaps you're thinking, well, why didn't he just take them through the land of the Philistines and just wipe out the Philistines, right, if, if they tried to stop them from getting the promised land? And if, sure, I mean, sure, God could have done that. Absolutely, he could have done that. But in his infinite wisdom, he has a better plan. No, the path God chose for the Israelites to get the promised land, it wasn't the quickest, it wasn't the, the easiest, but it was the right path for them. It was the path they needed to prepare them for the promised land. And I think this is an important lesson for us today. The path that God puts you on, the path that God puts us on, is often not the one that seems to be the most sense, to make the most sense from our perspective. The, the journey he takes us on may not be the quickest or the easiest, but it's the right one. It's the one that we need to prepare us for the promised land, for heaven. I, I think back when Cam and I decided to move from Ohio down to Kentucky so that I could go to seminary. And, and many of you know this story. The, the original game plan was to move down here, be down here for about like three, maybe four years. I would go to seminary full time. Cam would go, she would work full time. And of course, God had different plans. And he gave us Hannah, which uh, caused us to kind of flip our roles. And so I found a full-time position at Mount Washington Middle School as a teacher, which brought us to Bullock County. And Cam stayed home as much as she could with, with Hannah and also introduced us to First Baptist Mount Washington, which a few years later, they ended up hiring me full-time to be the Minister of Activities and Outreach. And a few years after that, Paul Chitwood, who was the pastor there at the time, let, started leading us down a path to church planting. And so here we are. <laughs> 
and, and I, I look back, and I could not be more thankful that that three-year journey has stretched into 19 plus. And it blows me away as I, I think back, and I, and I know that God knew all along that his game plan was to put us in a position to help start Mercy Hill. And I could share dozens of other stories of how God derailed my plans <laughs> and put me on a better path. Maybe not the easier path, okay, but a path that was going to better prepare me for the promised land. Now, before we move on in this text, I do want to point out, and I need to clarify something in verse 8, okay? So look back at verse 8. We read this. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now, this is another one of those examples where the translation may or may not be super helpful in helping us to understand what's going on here. So the phrase equipped for battle in the original language is more literally translated as they were organized by 50s, okay? And so that is, granted, that, that's the same language that they would use to describe an army going into battle, okay? And so I can understand why they translate it that way that they're equipped for battle. But in this case, I think it makes more sense in the context, especially, to simply understand that they were organized like a military. They, they were leaving in an orderly fashion, not that they were armed and equipped and ready for battle. Okay, God did not think that they were ready for battle. And so I think that's what that means. All right, let's keep moving. So we've seen already the wisdom of God in his leading. Next we see, this is number two, the faithfulness of God. Once again, as he remembers his promises, the faithfulness of God in remembering his promises. Look back at verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Now, that's just weird, right? Okay, why, did he, why would he do that? For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. So that's a quote from the end of Genesis chapter, 15, chapter 50. Joseph deep down believed in the promises of God that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that one day his family would be a great nation and they would live and settle in the promised land, the land of Canaan. Joseph knew that Egypt was a temporary home for Israel and that one day God would visit and bring his people out of Egypt. And so he makes his brothers promise, look, take my bones with you and bury me in Canaan with my ancestors. And there's numerous passages, we don't have time to look at them all, but there's numerous passages back in Genesis where God makes his promise over and over and over to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. Here's just one example. In, in Genesis 46, 2 through 4, God's talking to Jacob. He says, and God spoke to Israel, or, or Jacob, in visions of the night, and he says, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Jacob says, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. And so you've got this situation where, where uh, Jacob is, they're starving because there's this famine, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And God says, look, go up to Egypt. That's where I'm going to make you into a great nation, but I'm going to bring you out of there also. And you can see promise, time after time, this same promise being reiterated to Jacob and, and Isaac, and, and even all the way back to Genesis, it blows my mind, Genesis 15, I've read this before, verses 13 through 14, this is the, the first prediction that they're going to be in Egypt, and this is God talking to Abraham, he says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, now it doesn't say Egypt, 
but you can tell that that's what he's talking about because he goes on to say, and you will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And so they are seeing that prediction, that prophecy come to reality. And so the bones of Joseph, they were not some kind of relic or, or good luck charm, okay, that, that Moses was bringing with them. But I do wonder if they became a powerful reminder and, and really a testimony of Joseph's utter confidence in the purpose and the providence of God. And so in those moments where the Israelites were facing trials and they were wanting to run back to Egypt, I wonder if the bones of Joseph were a symbol for them that were screaming out to them, no, trust in the Lord, trust in his promises. Even if the whole world thing seems like it's falling apart, trust that God is with you and that God is for you and that his promises are sure and his plans are perfect. Think about this. Joseph's whole life was a testimony to that. Think about what Joseph went through. Remember, Joseph knew what it was like to be a slave in Egypt. His brothers sold him into slavery there. And yet God was with him throughout all that. And at the end of the day, he was able to say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Today, I mean, it feels like the world's fallen apart. It may feel like your world is falling apart. And the bones of Joseph are still crying out to us, trust God. Yeah, life is hard, but God is good. And he is sufficient for whatever you are going through right now. You can cling to his promises. You can find rest for your weary soul. We move on to point number three. And what we see next is the provision of God as he directs them. He doesn't just release them and say, good luck. Right? Look back at verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped in Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. That they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Notice they didn't need a map. They've got no GPS. Moses is not guiding them at this point, right? It's the very presence of God. He led them by a pillar of cloud by day and gave them the best nightlight ever, a pillar of, of fire by night. His presence never left them because that's exactly what they needed in that moment. And I think today, as I look around our world, the people that are really struggling right now, one of the things they need more than anything is just to be reminded they are not alone. They've got a church family that loves them, and more than that, they've got a, a God who loves them and cares for them and spread his arms wide for them. They were not alone. Every minute of the day and night, he was there. And we're going to see next week that this cloud would protect them from the army, uh, the, the Egyptian army. Later on, we're going to see in Exodus that the same cloud would descend on the top of Mount Sinai as Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments. The same cloud would eventually settle on the tabernacle after they build it. And so God's presence manifested himself. He manifested himself in this pillar of cloud and fire, and it would guide them, 
would protect them. It would be this constant reminder and this comfort to them of, of his reminder of the, his faithfulness towards them. And here's the thing. I, I think it's sometimes tempting for us to think about a story like this and what the Israelites experienced and think that, okay, they had it better off than we do today, at least on some level, right? I mean, they, they saw the very presence of God manifested to them in this pillar right before their very eyes. Isaiah even marvels at this season in Israel's history, and he describes it as the Holy Spirit in their midst. But listen, let's not downplay what we have this side of the cross. In Acts chapter 2, it's Pentecost, right? And, and the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples in wind and in fire, but he didn't simply come into their midst, did he? He came into them. He indwells them. And he indwells us still today as believers. Jesus actually encouraged his disciples to look forward to this day. And he said, and this is before his death and resurrection, he, he says to them in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I, I love how J.D. Greer puts this, another pastor. He, puts it, he says, look, Jesus is essentially saying this here. It's better for you to have the Spirit in you than me beside you. That's a pretty bold statement if you think about it. If you had the choice between having the, the Holy Spirit inside of you or Jesus living physically beside you, what would you choose? Well, Jesus says, choose the Spirit. It's better to have the Spirit inside of you. He's saying it's more advantageous for you to have the Spirit living in you than me living with you right beside you physically. See, the presence of God that guided the Israelites in the wilderness was at best a dim shadow of the full reality that we now enjoy. The Spirit is a constant witness to us of the love of Christ. The Spirit is how Jesus fulfills the promise that he gave in the Great Commission that I'm going to be with you to the very end. The Spirit is the, the seal of our salvation, giving us assurance He's the one that convicts us of sin and empowers us to resist sin. He produces the fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He's the one that gives us gifts as believers so that we can encourage one another and build each other up as a body of Christ. The Spirit comforts us and guides us. He enlightens our eyes so that we see the significance and the, the meaning of His Word. 1 Peter 1.8 describes, I believe, what the Spirit does in us. And Peter says this. He says, though you have not seen him talking about Christ, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Only Christ, his Spirit in us, can evoke that out of us. So if today, if you're a believer, if you are in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, you are far better off than the Israelites who got to experience God through this pillar of cloud and fire. You have more light than they ever did. You have more access to God than they ever did. You have Christ himself dwelling 
within you by his spirit who leads you and guides you by his holy word, by, by the scriptures. By the way, they did not have the fullness of scriptures like we do today to guide them. It was incomplete. Today, it is, it is finished and it is sufficient. And God who dwells in our hearts by his spirit, he guides us, he directs us step by step. He never deserts us. He walks us through every trial. He walks us through every valley, every sickness. He's there when we lose loved ones. He's with us when life is uncertain, never leaves us, never forsakes us, and he brings us back again and again to his precious promises. He says to you over and over, you belong to him. You're my child. You're a precious treasure, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart, chosen, and secure in his arms. And your inheritance is beyond comprehension. And yes, God in his infinite wisdom, he may lead you through difficult paths, through the wilderness. There may be seasons where you don't feel his presence and you just feel kind of apathetic. But even those seasons, it's not that God has left you. He allows you to go through those seasons so that you would be better prepared for the promised land. So that you would want him more. And that you would believe in his faithfulness more. In a minute, we're going to be singing one of my favorite songs, Ancient of Days. And this is such a beautiful song, and it's filled with powerful lyrics. I want you to pay attention to the lyrics. The phrase, Ancient of Days, of course, comes from Daniel chapter 7, where you've got this this vision of the throne room and the Ancient of Days is sitting on the throne and the Son of Man, Jesus, comes before the throne and the Ancient of Days grants the Son of Man dominion and glory and an everlasting kingdom. And so this song reminds us that even though our world is raging, it seems like it's falling apart, there's kingdoms that are rising and falling, there is still one king that is reigning Overall, one God who has all of time in his hands, who will one day return for us and make everything right. Listen to the lyrics. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the ancient of days. None above him, none before him, all of time in his hands. For his throne it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, he is here with me. I am not alone. Oh, his love is sure, and he knows my name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King when my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of the Ancient of Days. So we've seen in this passage the wisdom of God and how he leads them, how it's perfect wisdom, knowing the frailty of their faith. You've, we've seen the faithfulness of God as he remembers his promises and even the bones 
of Joseph remind us of that. We've seen the provision of God is how, how he directs them and he never leaves them. His presence is there with them. And we can say with confidence that the character of God has not changed. Today we still experience through his spirit the wisdom by which he leads us, the faithfulness that he always remembers his promises, his provision, and his guidance. And so let's pray that God would help us believe that. Father, you are the ancient of days, who in your infinite wisdom leads us and guides us on the right path. It may not be the easiest path, or the shortest path, but it is always the right path. I pray that you would help us believe that. I thank you that you always remember your promises. I pray that we would rest in those promises. We would feel secure in those promises. And I praise you that you give us exactly what we need as you direct us that you never leave us, you never forsake us. I pray that we would we'd feel your presence and we would glorify your holy name as we celebrate communion. In Jesus' name, amen. So today as we celebrate communion, I would encourage you